Howdy, folks. Before we start this session of Bebop Tabletop, we just want to say thanks to all our listeners, Twitter followers, and everyone who supported us along the journey. If you like what you've been hearing, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on your listening app of choice. It would help us out more than a sack full of oolongs. Now, hit it. Three, two, one. This is Bebop Tabletop, the podcast that's turning each episode of Cowboy Bebop into a tabletop RPG. I'm Michael Janoff. I'm Lee Joe John. I'm Andrew Wu. And together, we're remixing the characters, music, and themes into a game you can play. Let's jam. Hello, Bonsai enthusiasts. Welcome to Bebop Tabletop Session 5, the Ballad of Fallen Angels. I'm Andrew Wu, and I'm here to publicly state that I am not a crime boss. With me, as always, are Michael and Lee Joe. I have a question for you guys. Is treachery inevitable in our line of work? Uh, well, I mean, you're, are, are you implying that I'm also a crime boss? Because I, I'm not. I publicly stated that I am not a crime boss. So. <laughs> I go by the term capo. <laughs> capo? Capo? Capo. Either are. Thanks again for being here today. Are you guys ready to get into the noir the deep, gritty background of this episode? I'm already sitting in the corner of the bar. <laughs> Smoking a cigarette. Long drag in my cigarette. Just waiting for somebody to tell your story, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's the important part. I'm so edgy. Yeah. For today's Bebop news, the only thing I wanted to talk about was that Netflix released the trailer this week. Yeah. Uh, and I was just wondering, what do you guys think about that trailer? Uh, what are you? What? How did that help your mood? I guess how, your apprehension. Your so for me personally, like I'm waiting for. I'm feeling a little apprehensive about maybe an adaptation is going to be good and maybe it's not. <laughs> I I am you know always the cynic and in twenty plus years we haven't managed very many to be charitable uh, good adaptations of anime and any honestly most things from Japanese culture, but Cowboy Bebop has probably the most potential to be good. Um, the the trailers so far prior to this were a good mix of the camp and silliness as well as like the serious action and kind of noir tale that is Bebop. And so this most recent one was probably the most serious of the of the bunch and I think it did very well. And I guess clearly there's gonna be some cheese and that's totally par for the course. So here I'm hoping uh, that you know, I'll be satisfied. I'm pretty excited for it. I, I thought the I thought the take the the cuts and the music cuts and the action in the sh- short bit seemed like a lot of fun. And frankly, that's 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 kind of what I'm looking for. Uh, just want it to be <laughs> yeah. fun and exciting. And gonna have to see if I can manage to watch it slower than we're going through the anime. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I'm assuming they're doing a weekly release and not a binge, but. Maybe it's all, it's like November 19th, right? I'm not sure. They're, are they dropping all the episodes all at once? That's usually what they do, right? And they just dump it all? It it on depends Netflix. on the uh, the streaming service and how important it is. Like some, some shows still come out week by week and some are dropped all at once. But so I have, I'm not on, I'm not sure either what uh, format they're going to use. All right, so either one one way, either we're going to be watching an episode a week, or we're all going to be real tired on November twenty first. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess let's get it going with an episode summary. Spike's past catches up with him as his former crime syndicate capo is their next bounty. 
Jet decides he wants nothing to do with it, so Spike heads off alone. Faye, seeing only easy money, falls into a trap at the opera, while Spike visits Annie, an old friend. Spike and Vicious fight gun to sword in an abandoned cathedral, and both barely survive the encounter. So, this episode is the first time we get to see some of Spike's past coming back. Some of that... that uh, We've seen flashes... I believe the series starts... The first shot are Spike's flashbacks. The same flashbacks we see here when he's in recovery. Where all we know is that it's a, a rainy day. There's a rose in a puddle on the ground. And a woman whose name we never learned this episode. There's a lot of detail <laughs> that is left out and I think and I wonder how much is understandable to the first time viewer. Mm-hmm. I'm one of those first time viewers or at least I've forgotten pretty much everything. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do think that that's okay, right? Like they're not introducing too much like we can kind of assume, we can fill the gaps ourselves. We don't really know exactly what happened in the past. But with it, throughout this episode, a lot of things that I had also forgotten came up where I, I remembered that Spike was part of the syndicate at some time in the past. I remembered that uh, this woman's name is Julia, which we'll learn, I don't know when, maybe later, four or five episodes in, mm-hmm. uh, that he has a past with Vicious. I remembered that, that he, Spike, so things I had forgotten were, and they were in the trailer as well, right? This Netflix trailer where Spike had died, right? Where Spike has killed his old self so that he could end that life, right? And I totally forgot that that was his whole deal, right? That that the whole point of him coming back was because of things he could not escape, that he had tried to escape. And honestly, this is probably the best peek into uh, Spike's background, or at least really the first, uh, in the previous episodes, you get a little bit of Jets, you get a little bit of Phase, but Spikes had been pretty clou- uh, clouded over, you know, if not clouded over, at least, you know, hidden uh, until this moment. Right. So finally we get a good, uh, you know, real, well, real, you know, reveal of what his background is like. And maybe he's not yep. the happy-go-lucky fighter or, you know, bounty hunter that we know. That's what I was going to say. Up up until this point, he was just kind of happy-go-lucky, carefree, and kind of goofy, right? Mm-hmm. He was stealing food in that first episode. He was uh, very good at kung fu, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, it's it's one of those things as we um, as we kind of dissect this media or piece of media part. We we still have people fighting with swords, and we still mm-hmm. have people fighting with kung fu uh, in these <laughs> in space. So. Feasible? Maybe. Maybe not. It is cool to watch, though. That's what's important. Sometimes uh, on the tabletop, what's fun and cool isn't always the most effective. (laughs) (laughs) Usually not. Hopefully not. (laughs) Trade-offs. Trade-offs. I mean, mean, maybe that, you know, we'll maybe talk about it at a later point, but that fact that that exists could inform how the game is played as well. Mm -hmm. There are certainly systems where trying to beat people up with your fists uh, in a setting with guns and long range doodads is just going to enter you into a world of hurt. And maybe here there's a little <laughs> bit more leeway with that. I uh, guess, I guess in this, so like just kind of to slightly dissect that last fight at the cathedral, there was Spike V Vicious, right? Vicious has that big sword and a bird of some kind, some sort of, some sort of winged creature, right? 
Spike has his guns and a pocket full of grenades, which we found earlier that he kept in the refrigerator, right? <laughs> he had a little bag in the fridge. Why not? Yeah, keep them cool, right? They won't, they won't blow up that way, I guess. <laughs> but also, Vicious had a whole crew with him, right? He wasn't alone when he went to fight Spike. So my thinking now is that that sword was not actually that powerful. Like, the, the whole reason that this, this fight ended up pretty even was just because Vicious had a whole crew with him. Also, you know, uh, Spike had been shot in the gut um, prior to their actual, like, balcony fight. So yeah, all like, handicaps, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> Although alternatively, I'd argue that Spike had like three grenades, and that did most of the work anyway. <laughs> but no, potato, potato. On the topic of uh, oh, back to the topic of backgrounds, mm-hmm. we had we were talking a little bit about before how there was a lot of detail that was hinted at, but mm-hmm. not explicitly mentioned. I think we said character names, or you can you can go beyond that and just say any details. And I think that that works actually pretty well, pretty darn well on the tabletop. I, we've chatted, uh, if we haven't done it in this podcast, we've discussed it independently. The 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 concept of backstories and backgrounds, and for a collaborative storytelling game. A lot of times, uh, if it doesn't happen on the tabletop, nobody knows about it. Mm-hmm. So if we have some personal individual character growth, like in this episode or some exposition that everyone on the table is suddenly learning about, that is, that's something that can be kind of handled in a few ways. We, we had in the, you mentioned in the first episode, we had a little bit of the backstory. So that was, mm-hmm. That was that was what was written in the character sheet going into it. <laughs> and then later, when some story beat happens, we can fill in the details. We don't even have to have those defined ahead of time. And even later on, you could meet a major story character and tie that into your backstory. Say, ah, that person was the currently unnamed person in my backstory. <laughs> so there's there's like adaptive paths to the storytelling that you could that you can integrate if you don't want to do everything ahead of time. And sometimes that approach is worthwhile. I've noticed this with, with a couple player types, right? Having played with a handful of people of different kinds of tabletop players, right? Some, there are some players that write novels, right? Your character comes in. I know everything about this person up to the moment that is meeting this party. I know everything that happened to them. From birth to now, I know every person they've ever met. I know every person that's ever influenced them in some way. I know every little detail that they've gone. And I've written it down, and please read my novel, right, before <laughs> before we start playing this game. Uh, on the other hand, there are other players that have said, oh, I forgot we were supposed to do that. Uh, here's my name. Uh, they are good at swords, so let's play. <laughs> and, and trying to find that balance between these two, I think, is... I, I, again, I, I just want to make sure our system can handle both of those, right? Dungeons and Dragons has a background system too that isn't mm-hmm. the most robust, but I also think it's, it could be better. Um, now, every character gets a background, and there are some that are you know just in the player's handbook, but there have been there are a couple dozen now with all the iterations, and some of them are like your background of a you know of a scholar, a sage, so. You uh, you've you learned extra languages, or you have the 
Um, you have the background of like an urchin. So like you are good at, you can pick up some like rogue-esque like skills. Um, but if you're, you know, obviously the min-maxer will just pick the, the background that's, you know, best suited for them. Plus intelligence, plus strength. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever, you know, whatever they need, you know? Um, alternatively, yeah, I mean, it can be very useful. If you want to use that background, you can absolutely go, you know, wild with possibility. So it's tough. I think it is, it's, it's a little bit, so it's not heavy handed enough, but I, I do appreciate mm. that there's a lot of freedom to it. Yeah, I think, I think background structures, you know, we mentioned D&D, but you know, archetypes help to inform players who may not necessarily know what the world is like helps them inform what they maybe want to steer towards or informs decision making during the events of a of a game well one of of the things that i remember the first time i built a character for dungeons and dragons that confused me was and i did this through DD beyond i'm sure was that the backgrounds are like select one of six or sometimes like a dice roll based. I, I can't remember what I was looking at where some character creator said, hey, roll a dice to determine your background or something like that. And that confused me in terms of like, well, is this background important? I think that was a question that popped up. And I was a very new tabletop player at that time. So one of the things that was a question in my head was, I was thinking, hey, aren't the characters supposed to be what I build? Aren't they supposed to be something that I determine? And this thing is telling me, hey, just just roll this. Just pull this from, like, randomly select one of these six things. And that always felt wrong. Uh, now, obviously, I know, yeah, it doesn't. you pick whatever you want. It changes things, but honestly, it's a flexible system. Don't worry about it too much. But it was still... Not that friendly. I think that's something that I would like to... Yeah, I think like like what Lijo said, where it both is flexible, but also not heavy-handed enough. Perhaps our background system, and tying into how Cowboy Bebop is heavily character and background-focused, our background system might have to be an integral part of the character creation process. Now, are you implying that maybe we need to set you know, almost the archetype system where it's almost, almost part of the player create like class, or is this more just uh, like set buffs or, you know, mm-hmm. or even uh, like punishments. If you, hmm. uh, if you choose the certain role, you're locked out of these certain things or whatever. I think you can have them decoupled. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's possible to do that. If, uh, and we haven't talked about what a character class or archetype, you know, might look like yet. This is kind of our first stab at it. But if 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 we have some piece that determines mechanical details, we could have a background determine kind of a character growth or mm-hmm. almost some other parallel path. Uh, you know, you can mm-hmm. you can kind of almost have a hybrid. You know, kind of a, a role-playing arm of character growth and a mm-hmm. mechanical arm of 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 your character. Right. This kind of reminded me of something. I don't remember when we talked about this in the past, but the idea of bottoming out 
leading into growth, right? Bottoming, bottoming out in a way that leads to a new ability. Not So not necessarily just a punishment, right? But you've bottomed out in some way and now you've got a potential to learn this new thing because you bottomed out in this way. Maybe, yeah, like maybe you've starved this week. So next week you have a bonus that allows you to consume less food because now you can handle being starved for a week. And that adds, uh, we talked about it in terms of pandemic as well. It's like a scar as like a, a thing that you've now labeled onto your character sheet. Maybe backgrounds kind of work the same way, but are more, not necessarily more rigid, but have more set. Uh, this is just the thought in my head is that like a character archetype or a, a trait archetype might be something that has some flexibility built into it, but it might be like a tech, a tech tree where, yes, you've hit this character moment. It, it's turned you into this because of either something you've selected, maybe the first time as you're building a character, or something that you've encountered and now you get this tacked onto your character sheet because you survived it through some game. right? And it has branches off of it where these things may lead to mechanical differences or may not, right? based on your background that got applied here yeah i i think i think what you're what you're discussing is um it it does start to become very strictly coded Mm -hmm. Uh, interestingly going right back into the thing that you said you didn't like very much (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) because if we have a if we have a a tech tree or a tech web well you you better bet we're gonna have a limited set of backgrounds Mm -hmm. (laughs) so you know that that is kind of uh Inter- an interesting conceptually uh, from a from a standpoint of having m- multiple growth paths mm-hmm. you know s- integral to your character but two separate paths they 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 might walk right and that that mixes and matches some s- some sensibilities uh, i'll say or quirks into a character mm-hmm. um, along with mechanical details but I, I think you you mentioned a good piece about you know hitting major story beats and having those major story beats um, pr- provide some um, some amount of growth and development. You know, we don't have to have a mechanical um, benefit. It could be something like there's you know some some kind of character background with with multiple pieces. Um, may, maybe the the first, you know, the multiple pieces can be multiple arcs, and perhaps mm-hmm. there is a way to mix and match these. But say the the first arc can be something vague, like mm-hmm. um, find uh, find your lost love, you know, something mm-hmm. like that. Sounds like a later one, but <laughs> I was know. gonna say I'm still struggling with it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just just saying, you know, something something uh, motivating that mm-hmm. isn't specific. You can flesh it out if you want. But at the same time, once you get to that point, maybe there's some benefit. So mm-hmm. you get to that. Uh, well, you know, in uh, in Spike's uh, chat with uh, uh, the woman Annie? who drank a lot, Annie. Annie, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, they 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 clearly had some 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 backstory, and the way I kind of classified Annie was that she was. Uh, 
from, from a game standpoint was that she was a, a contact, um, an informant mm-hmm. contact that you could go to, you could take advantage of and get a little bit more information that you didn't have before. And so completing one of your personal story character arcs could lead, for example, if it's thematic, to having that uh, resource, that contact mm-hmm. as a permanent, semi-permanent, unless you burn the bridge somehow, but mm-hmm. an, a, a new part of your character that's not driving your roles, but is mm-hmm. a, a, a effectively a resource. Right. I suppose it gave, for example, in this case... Spike now has more insider information into what's happening with the syndicate back home, right? Just because he has her number now, I guess, right? Or he knows he can reach out to her. I suppose I could see several other kinds like this too, where uh, we talked about this a little bit, maybe it was the last episode or two ago, where we talked about having, uh, this might've been actually like the second episode, where we talked about having a world contact or somebody that knows like here this is somebody you met in your past and has access to a guild i I think in dungeons and dragons it'd be access to a guild or maybe you have cheaper access to weapons now because you have somebody that is an armor right Right. things like that yeah yeah exactly So I had mentioned, or uh, not on the podcast, but in a previous time, uh, how I kind of enjoyed the uh, certain RPGs have a background aspect, uh, like video games anyway, that I think are is interesting. And one that I I kind of was tinkering with was the Mass Effect history mm. builder. They have a they have two things. They have a pre service history and a psych evaluation, and I think that they're both kind of interesting. Whereas mm. it. I'm not going to go into Mass Effect here, but uh, you have choices of how you spent your childhood as either a spacer, an Earthborn, or a colonist. A uh, spacer being somebody who, you know, you lived, your parents are part of the military, so you went from station to station. Uh, Earthborn meaning you were born, you know, a poor kid on Earth who, who joined the military to escape poverty. The colonist was, you were you were born on a space colony and, you know, yada, yada. And it wasn't huge differences, but once you chose that, little differences would happen. Like uh, in one in one history, your parents are not you know no longer living, or in one history, you meet up with people from your past, or in one history, you have better contacts with certain you know stations and whatnot. And I thought that was you know incredibly interesting, and I think that is it is not overwhelmingly like. Uh, steering your character in one way or another, but it does give you, you know, some options and how you want to roleplay the character. Now, the the psych profile is probably a little bit more just straight alignment, where you know, mm-hmm. as the D and D alignment of you know, evil, neutral versus the morality system, uh, you yeah. know, lawful versus chaotic, which is fine. You know, I always, I'm, always, I've always been of opinion that the alignment chart is uh, antiquated, but. That being said, uh, a little these little organizational slots, I think, are nice to have in terms of background. It's interesting as a kind of an addition to. Well, the way I'm thinking of that, it would be that it would be something we could develop after building a character type. So once we know how characters are supposed to be built, we could like that would be kind of neat as a new player to a game where. 
you know, if, if you just sat down and said, hey, I like Cowboy Bebop, I think this is our potential, our, our primary audience, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, I like Cowboy Bebop. I've seen a little bit of critical role. I've maybe played a game or two of some of Dungeons and Dragons or some other games. I would like to play a Cowboy Bebop game, but I'm not super experienced. How do I start? And one of the things may just be, hey, here's a character generator. Answer these questions. And if you, you know, if, if I say I'm a spacer, like, okay, then fill in these slots with these numbers, right? Instead of Dungeons and Dragons saying either like, yeah, roll randomly and then assign, assign your roles to each of your traits or just select a number from the standard array and assign them to, you know, instead of that, introducing you to a character by answering questions of a character you'd like to play is a much cooler way to build a character, right? Because then you, even if you have nothing in mind or if you had something solid in mind, you can kind of build them organically, right? Build them with the character in mind first. Yeah, you know, like choose your own adventures, like re- exactly. read this column, go to page, go to this, it. go to this line if you choose this. <laughs> that that's I, our character builder system now. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have, I have, I I love choose your own adventure novels. I read many of them. <laughs> I love them. And I, I have a I will I have a choose that. your own adventure Hamlet somewhere. By the way, just just as a weird weird adventure <laughs> thing. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know there were branching paths in a Hamlet. <laughs> it doesn't end but, well for most people. <laughs> yeah i mean i i, I love that that, yeah, that 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 sounds like that sounds like a lot of fun honestly and you know if to, to add a little bit of extra bonus fun in the choose your own adventure you can actually just have mad libs style mm-hmm. open uh open sections with a little uh you know, person name or you know <laughs> favorite. I don't know, favorite ice cream, whatever. Yeah. Uh, uh, your favorite color and a mythical creature. That's the name <laughs> of your syndicate now. <laughs> right. uh, I feel like this is going to just create a bunch of radical Edwards. I'm sorry, but uh... <laughs> some games are like that, though. Yeah. So. <laughs> all barge. This game is all barge. Let's go. <laughs> you, you say that like it's a bad thing. <laughs> uh We've made a party of all eins. <laughs> Sounds like a fun game. Oh my god, that'd be the best. <laughs> um, they all have dark, gritty backgrounds. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounds amazing. I don't. <laughs> um, uh, what one thing I want to I want to pull out of this is um, when 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 we put this together, we hmm. need to avoid the D and D ranger problem, hmm. which is the. Uh, the problem where uh, you create a character who's really good at fighting kobolds in mountains, and then the entire campaign has nothing to do with either of those. Mm. So <laughs> there, you know, there there may be some if there are opportunities like that. Uh, I don't know, you know, like we're talking place place names. Uh, if I really mm. like Mars, and we never do anything on Mars, that's no fun. Um, so there may be we can, we can have a whole separate chat about session zero at some point, mm-hmm. but you know they, there may be some pieces that you know we put a little asterisk on and say, hey, this is something that you talk about with your DM. Mm, interesting. Yeah, that would be a good note just to be uh, that gives us as the game designers more flexibility to include things, right? This way we can we don't we're not limiting the things that you can include as your character, but we can note them as hey, these might be this like this skill awesome will be useful like guns awesome. Everyone's going to have guns. You're always going to have access to guns. Perfect. But this thing that's like uh really good at 
Tijuana drinking games. <laughs> Only going to be useful in Tijuana, and you may never go there. It's for small fries. Y- you joke, but one of uh, an RPG system that I'm very fond of has a very prominent skill, Martian beer knowledge. <laughs> and it is... <laughs> Always picked. <laughs> <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> I mean, you never know when you need to use it, you know? So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that kind of like off-the-wall stuff, too, though, is the off-the-wall trivial stuff can sometimes be like some of the most character-defining features. Yeah, they, they are the campaign most of the time, right? They, they are the things you remember later. And I think, honestly, in a, in a world with no magic the weirder you can get the better you know mm-hmm. so you got to throw in these weird feats and uh let's see what people do with them that's actually that's actually an interesting point um you know we're talking about like a new player experience um what what happens or how can you set something up to prevent uh disappointment so Hmm. to give an example uh, you fill out your character sheet and you get to the mad libs part and it says um uh i'm gonna throw something out and say what what type of ship do you want to be a pilot of and you say i want to be the pilot of a dragon and that's what you write down. You get very excited about that. And then you get to the table and they say, no, actually, dragons aren't in this setting. Hmm. That's awful. That's an awful experience, <laughs> right. whether it's true or not. So, you know, what? what's the, you know, if, if we have something like this, um, you know, there, it, 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 it leads to wanting to have a list of recommendations, which mm-hmm. leads to a harder coding of things. So, right. I guess one of the this will probably tie into I I started thinking this week about the DM experience or writing a story or writing a adventure. Right. What what that might be like. And I don't think we're there yet. But uh, this kind of ties into that idea of, well, how do I when we when we hold our session zero and the characters like my you know, I've I've asked my players like, hey, you want to play this game? This is kind of what I'm thinking. This is kind of what it's about. So now look at your player's book and figure out kind of characters you'd like to be. And as part of writing that adventure, yeah, knowing which pieces as the DM you'd want to say, oh, I can't allow this because it's it's too powerful. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons, right? Ha- there are campaigns, and mostly I've only heard them in the context of like horror stories. Or not horror as in like, oh, these are scary games, but horror as in these are terrible games run by either terrible people or terrible players. And where it's like, oh, I want to run a no magic campaign. There is no magic in my Dungeons and Dragons land. It's almost strict combat fantasy. And the problem there is usually one of expectation, right? Like if, if your DM doesn't clearly say, hey, these things are not allowed, these things are allowed, that leads to that kind of disappointment. But it still seems to happen anyway, right? Like, like a player may really, really just want to play this person that they have in mind. Yeah, uh, I think that's a that that is un- unfortunately one of the uh, one of the things about RPGs where sometimes the table isn't a good fit for the player, or the mm-hmm. game that a game master wants to play isn't the game that the players want to play, and you can try to come to an accord or. 
uh, part ways, yeah, or part ways, and you know, it's it's it's, 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 it's sometimes that's the hard decisions that have to be made. Sometimes it is better not to compromise if if you if both of you are honestly, you know, if both parties are diametrically opposed, yeah, just give it up. I mean, if you want, if you want. Uh, you know, a little bit of seriousness and, you know, emotional depth and your party would like to do all fart jokes all the time, I mean, it's not going to work out no matter how much you compromise. You know, in the end, you know, bad, bad roll, you know, tight table or bad tabletop is still is, is worse than no tabletop, right? Or is it the other way around? No tabletop is no tabletop is better than bad. Tabletop. I think you got it. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but uh, this this ties into background too with communicate <laughs> between the GMs and the players. You can you can have a rigid system with no flexibility and everything is perfect, or you can have a flexible system where it's possible to ride a dragon. Yeah, <laughs> have some boo boos yeah. if you don't communicate well yeah. enough. Break the entire system. You know, sometimes you come to the table with a background in mind and it doesn't really fit and you know you have to either the 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 proper the the kind thing to do if you all want to stay at a table together is to figure out how to make it work make some changes make some compromise uh maybe your character can't be a the 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 richest millionaire in the galaxy with all the Mm. ships um (laughs) what you don't like my space bugatti (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> it 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 is it is quite possible and quite fun to play you know, to, to to have like the rich guy and the the, the rich person in the party mm-hmm. right like that 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 is that is a common trope yeah. yeah what do you do i pay the bills right the the character i'm thinking of a friend of mine ran a rich character that had someone else with him that was really the one doing all the work. They were like their manservant. And that was <laughs> that was actually what their character was. Like the character themselves didn't know how to do anything. <laughs> had no skills, just had money. Yeah. And hey, that's a background right there. <laughs> do we do we wanna do we wanna would we be interested in trying to spitball a few character backgrounds just like first thing off the top of your head of characters sure, we've, we've yeah. met so far uh spike uh former syndicate right so so has a criminal background of some kind uh he's definitely got arms training and hand hand combat training in some kind right which, also... which could be part of that of the syndicate training mm-hmm. yeah those tie in uh what else do we know about him? I mean, he is—he uh, is the face, right? Well, he is technically the entire team is a bunch of faces, but uh, <laughs> he is charismatic and he is, you know, very dexterous. Like, you know, again, I—I I, I classified him as a as a you know rogue, but you know, you could also say he might be kind of like a bard character, a little bit good at everything, you know? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if we've if we've seen. A background that's suggested that, uh, in particular, uh, unless you can think of, because th- that that very well, what you're describing could be the mix of syndicate and whatever class we're associating him with, right? Mm-hmm. So Spike could be, like you say, bard plus syndicate background. 
Mm. And that's the kind of dynamicism uh, that we're kind of going forward with. So like we have, we have this, this mechanical arc with being charismatic uh, and other things. Mm. And we have this, you know, direction of former syndicate member. So that's kind of these two legs that we have going on with Spike. Mm. Um, What about, what about Jet? What's, what's his background? Yeah, similarly, instead of that syndicate background, he's got a police background, right? Yeah. Like he's more law and order. He's more and you know, some inciting event happened in that past that led him to leave the police, to no longer be as strongly law and order, right? Well, I mean, we did get a little glimpse into his background where he mentioned in this episode that he was a little too gung ho and uh mm-hmm. that burned him. Right, that's interesting, right? It's a this idea that he feels that being too incautious caused him trouble. So now, and we've seen this through all of the episodes so far, where he is definitely much more calm, much more. Let's take a look and plan first. Right? Every every episode has him planning something. Yeah, and I I think that there there's a couple story arcs right there that we just talked about, a couple things to explore, and new resources to open up as you explore those mm-hmm. and you know if we're talking about two legs maybe his the the other version the other leg of his character is he's kind of a techie you know? mm-hmm. i was just thinking jet is the dec- decryption master he calls himself this yes <laughs> he is always <laughs> doing the tech stuff mm-hmm. every episode for a guy who is very built he is the guy in the chair which yeah. is always interesting <laughs> he's always the guy in the chair yeah he's not the He's not the the muscle brown bound burly guy that <laughs> he's built like. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right now. Um, Faye. For, uh, is it is it Faye or May? I always forget. <laughs> <laughs> it's Faye. It's Faye. 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 <laughs> so Faye, what's her what's her background? Uh, grifter, definitely a grifter. <laughs> she yeah. is the. She is. I mean, if we're going to talk rogue, she's the rogue. She is right? the quintessential the rogue. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, again, without going too far into detail with her, you know, like her history, like yeah, I think the some sort of grifter or con artist or even just mm-hmm. uh, you know, like a nomad. She doesn't stay in one place for too mm. long, right? Yep. Nomad's a nice one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she calls herself a Romany, like in her mm-hmm. introduction. Oh yeah, that is. <laughs> Which I don't think ever comes up again, because <laughs> I think it... she was making that up in the moment, but it still fits pretty well. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's the it's the nomadic mm-hmm. impression that they're trying to give. Uh, so those are the what's what's uh, what's Ein's uh, <laughs> <laughs> a critical character? <laughs> genius dog. <laughs> He's I would genius. I would say lab grown. Would be his background, right? Oh, yeah, he yeah, is. Yeah. Uh, he is not uh, natural. Might be a little bit rough, but mm-hmm. he he is definitely somebody who does not who does not take to people so well, right? You know, he mm-hmm. didn't take to Spike or, uh, well, Faye really uh, very well. <laughs> or I mean, Faye, yeah. In the small scenes we've seen, he seems to like Jet good well enough, mm-hmm. but you know. Who knows? Yeah, Lab Ground's interesting because that also raises, you know, he's a he's a Frankenstein monster essentially, right? He that opens up a whole avenue of, well, you know, even Vicious's bird this time was not. 
I didn't recognize a species of that bird. It kind of looked like a vulture. I always imagined more of a crow, mm. but it didn't seem natural. Which I, well, I use the term lab-grown because it makes me immediately think of the other major space western in my uh, in my lifetime, which was uh, Firefly, and how, you know, River mm-hmm. Song is basically lab-grown, uh, and how she has psychic powers, and that's a whole different story, mm-hmm. but, you know, same thing. I mean, if that's something you want to use, that's something you want to use. It's a psychic character. There, there are a lot of lab-grown psychic characters in, uh, in fiction. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, like you say, lab grown opens up a a lot of. There's a lot of meat to that. There's a lot to mm. pull apart. You know, uh, yeah. I don't think we've encountered lab grown people yet, but I clearly it is a good, thing that I got happens. Good news for you. <laughs> I got good news for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that seems great. I mean, like we we just spent a few minutes talking about character backgrounds and immediately we're able to apply what we talked about to our four main characters so i'd say that's pretty successful even with all the side characters that we've met so far at the very least maybe not to the depth that we can see them with the main characters but almost all of them we can boil down to a handful of character types as well the one i'm thinking of right now is what was it the second episode where you've got hakeem Right, who also seems to have some something that gives him a combat background and something that you know puts him in a position to steal dogs from labs, right? So that is already types that we can work with, right? Uh, the person that was mistaken for Hakim in that same episode is just some street urchin, right? Uh, you know, a, another common background that shows up in many things. Yeah, I mean, it's a simple way to make NPCs too. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what I was getting at, right? This idea that, oh, if we have a, if we have a decent collection of these, it could be, you know, either pull them from a hat or roll for them or put them together yourself. Just staple these traits together and they not only imply a background for you to use for thematic purposes, but they also imply a skill set. They also imply a, you know, a stat block for you. Cool. I, I can't wait to put together this uh, choose-your-own-adventure uh, character creation. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's just yeah. easy. It's the most natural way. We're, we're telling a story, right? <laughs> yeah. I would say that you the, the biggest issue is just try to don't make it too obvious. Uh, where, mm. you know, like a lot of the little quizzes that you sometimes see in video games where they're like, well... If you answer, you know, whatever you answer is the result is the prize you get. And then you you have an idea of what how to game the system because the questions aren't that hard. Now, obviously, games, these video games are meant for children sometimes. But, you know, like, <laughs> here I am trying to get the special, you know, toy. Yeah, I mean, you could you could code like you can code that too. like you can have your, your one line say you choose your path and you know you have the the text option that says this is the mm-hmm. thing and, and then you could say it in open friends to say this is the rogue path mm-hmm. yeah I, i'm of the opinion since we're, since we're trying to build a character sheet out of this whatever it ends up in the end if you're not happy for whatever reason you could just manually change it right there's there's no there's no penalty it, I, I do like the idea that just because of inertia maybe you'll you'll get a character that's not so min max based on the questions you answered 
and that's like, hey, well, it's already written down the sheet. Maybe I'll play with this instead, right? Instead of trying to change it later. So that'd be kind of good, but I don't think it's that big of a deal. If someone really, really wants, like, no, I I must have the helicopter piloting skill, right? Like, yeah, fine. <laughs> you, can, you can take that. You didn't answer that in the questionnaire, but that's fine. <laughs> I guess we should wrap this up. Uh, any last things about this episode you guys want to talk about? Most expensive bounty we've seen yet. 28 million Wulongs. 28 million. You, so I was wondering, does this keep going up all season? It has so far. <laughs> so I just want to say that this crime syndicate capo is worth a scant 3 million more than an eco-terrorist. <laughs> also, he was not posted with any reason. Right? We, we don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> we don't know why this person is wanted. But while they're looking at the wanted screen, they're like, "Oh yeah, look here, he's a crime boss." <laughs> and you could clearly see on the screen it says, <laughs> "Crime boss." That's his crime. <laughs> An unknown criminal record. So I don't know where they're pulling it from. Well, they knew him, but you know, whatever. Right. Yeah. I mean, ob- because it was an obvious trap for Spike, right? Yeah. <laughs> that, that was the whole deal. <laughs> I know, Lijo, you mentioned that Faye was shopping at some point in the episode. Yeah, so, you know, I, I, you know, off off recording, I mentioned that there has to be some sort of uh, downtime, or at least they're, they are completing jobs or something in between episodes, because uh, Faye is shopping, and that means they have money, or Faye has conned more people out of their... Uh, goods and services. So uh, it's, it's, a, it's always a question. And, you know, obviously downtime is always uh, something you should always consider when you have a role-playing game because people love to role-play that junk, uh, you know? But, like, uh, <laughs> it, it is tough, you know, especially when you're already kind of playing a almost episodic game as is, right? Uh, since Cowboy Bebop Jenna has the natural arc of a job, get the job, do the job, return home from the job. Right. Yeah, the, the other things that I wanted to note were uh, Faye having a valet service in front of the opera. Right? She just parks her Zipcraft right in front and tosses her key to the guys as park that for me, will you? <laughs> uh, oh, I just, uh, I mean, you just have to enjoy like the John Woo inspired final battle with like, the, you know, the cathedral mm. and the birds and it's, it's great. The music? And, you know, <laughs> the music in this episode is so perfect. So perfect. Uh, by the seatbelts, apparently. I was not aware. <laughs> uh, but yes, in the rain. All right. Well, with that, we will call an end to the Ballad of Fallen Angels. Uh, stay tuned next week for Sympathy for the Devil. Uh, we hinted at some lab-grown shenanigans, and I think we're going to have some lab-grown... Not really lab, but... It'll fit that type really well, so stay tuned for that. See you later, bonsai enthusiasts. (laughs) Get those trees trimmed. (laughs) Thanks for listening. If you've got questions, suggestions, or if you're starting your own Bebop Tabletop session, you can reach us on Twitter, at Bebop Tabletop. 